I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk, where we take a unique view of world events. We report news as history. With me today is the editor of StrategyPage.com and well-known military author, Jim Dunnigan. Associate editor and syndicated columnist, Austin Bay, also joins us. Welcome, Austin and Jim. Thought we'd spend a little time today talking about India and Pakistan. It's interesting. Uh, Rex Tillerson said yesterday in an interview with CNN that uh, the two countries he doesn't like dealing with are North Korea and Pakistan, and I think India would uh, second that, right, Jim? <laughs> yes, Pakistan did not work out as expected. Uh, it started out, you know, as a uh, as a homeland for the Indian, you know. Uh, Muslims. Britain had to face that problem when they when they decided, you know, what during World War II, all right, we're leaving. Uh, basically, what convinced them was, uh, you know, Churchill said, "What are the numbers on that?" Because in the uh, you know, uh, Britain was really broke. They were broke after World War One. They were broker uh, after World War Two, and money was extremely short and they reported back to him he says oh we're losing you know a lot of money uh he said all right we're gone um so the uh problem was uh the uh the british had to make a few decisions and they decided to uh basically the easiest way out was to uh, accede to the uh, the pack the muslim demands the muslim politicians uh that they get their own country. Uh, now they didn't get all of the Muslims. Uh, India today has more Muslims than uh, than Pakistan, but that's only because uh, in order to create the original Pakistan, they had a West Pakistan, which is now what we call Pakistan, and East Pakistan, which is Bangladesh. Um, uh, the it didn't work out. Uh, the Pakistanis blame India, but basically you ask any Bangladeshi and they'll say, oh, no, no, it was those, those books, you know, from up in the hills, uh, from the other Pakistan. Um, so one could say in hindsight that the decision was, you know, somewhat flawed, uh, not to mention the fact that hundreds of thousands of people were killed, some say up to a million, uh, uh, by the transfer of population. And in Pakistan, the transfer of population didn't work out so well because a lot of the, the Indian Muslims that came to Pakistan are still identified as somehow unclean. And uh, they they basically formed their own political party um, and uh, they're basically still fighting with each other over that. On top of that, Pakistanis did not undergo the same kind of reforms that independent India did. Independent India got rid of, as, as well, more, much more so than Pakistan did, the uh, feudal nature of, uh, of uh, Indian society. Something even the British had left alone. I mean, basically, <laughs> the British came in and uh, and conquered, uh, you know, all of the, you know, uh, colonial India. Uh, by basically uh, playing one side or against the other, sound familiar? You know, it's what the uh, the con- uh, conquistadors did in South America, uh, because uh, the um, the Muslims were basically disliked. The Muslim rulers, especially, uh, by you know most of the population, and the the Muslims, uh, especially the politicians, uh, were unhappy. 
and uh, because they had not conquered all of India, even though they've been trying for centuries. Um, and that basically is at the root of a lot of the uh, the antagonism and and you know and, uh, you know antagonistic uh, attitudes uh, in in Pakistan more so than in India. India was was quite happy, you know, to you know, all right, we we're, we're separated, we can get on, and uh, and we did a piece of strategy page. Oh, I guess it was last year where we did the numbers and showed that you know India. Despite a, a disastrous, you know, uh, uh, you know, detour into into, into uh, uh, socialism, as it were, uh, what the British did after World War II, but worse, and, the, and they hung on to it a little longer, um, and they're way behind China, and they still have a, they still have communist rebels, uh, the, the nationalists or the Maoists, whatever you want to call them. Uh, and they still have a legalized communist party, uh, which is not, you know, huge, but it's still there. And they still have a certain nostalgia for Russia, uh, you know, even though Russia isn't communist anymore, uh, which is why they continue to buy Russian weapons, although less and less. Uh, one thing they, they really can't blame the British on was the corruption. Uh, the British were corrupt, you know, in the 18th, 19th century when they came in. But by Indian standards, they were paragons of, you know, clean government. Uh, and that's one thing the Indians wouldn't admit that they, they missed until, you know, their own corruption got so bad. Uh, the one consolation they had was the corruption in Pakistan was worse. And like I say, among the reforms that the Pakistanis didn't make was they didn't ensure that the military in Pakistan was subordinated to the elected government. Uh, so the combination of that and, and worse corruption uh, meant that they were constantly behind India. Now, they were behind in the first place because India has six times the population. But as we, point, we have pointed out for you know, years, the strategy page, when you uh, look at the, uh, you know, the, the Islamic terrorism uh, violence, and, and not all of it you know, directed against India, most of it's directed at other Pakistanis, even before Taliban, not Taliban, well, uh, that was a Pakistani invention, but not even before Al-Qaeda and, uh, and uh, the Islamic State came along. Uh, it was higher per capita in Pakistan and India and still is. Uh, the next disastrous mistake the Pakistanis made was in 19, late 1970s. Uh, the uh, as they're alternated between uh, military government and elected government, they now have an elected government, which the military is trying to take over without another coup, but that's another story. They, um, they basically, the, the general in charge decided, let's try Islamic terrorism. Now, we'll be clever about this. We won't say we're using Islamic terrorism, but basically they set up uh, government-approved uh, Islamic terrorist groups whom the army is now, even though they're not in power, uh, uh, getting, uh, you know, turned into political parties. That's going to end well, as we all know. And, um, and, and continuing to deny to the world, uh, especially to India and the United States, uh, that they do not support, you know, terrorism inside of Pakistan. Now, the problem with that is uh, the world doesn't believe them anymore. Uh, and China basically says, all right, we'll, we'll protect you in the UN with our, our with our veto, uh, and we'll help you out with our you know massive economy, uh, but you've got to protect us uh, inside of Pakistan, and you've got to uh, basically keep any uh, in uh, Pakistan-based uh, terrorists out of 
uh, China. Now, Pakistanis, to the credit, they were able to do that, uh, but they still deny that they're supporting terrorist organizations uh, that are attacking, you know, India. And of course, they deny to Afghanistan that they invented the Taliban, which they certainly didn't. They're proud of it. You get them, you know, on the street as when they say, "Oh, of course," um, because the Pakistanis admit that they believe Afghanistan is their, uh, you know, property in effect, their problem, and they should have complete control over how they deal with it. And their way of dealing with it is basically to uh, use an ancient, you know, custom of supporting a, uh, a, an entity, a foreign entity that they control uh, inside Pakistan to punish any Afghani leaders uh, that uh, basically, you know, become troublesome. Now that in turn is becoming troublesome. In fact, it's, it's reaching a, a crisis point now because everybody is openly calling them out. The military continues to deny and Basically, especially after the, the uh, 2011 raid on uh, Battlebad, where you know uh, the Osama bin Laden was found to have been hiding for years, and and, and you know huge quantities of uh, of documents were seized, as as well as bin Laden's body. Um, that was an enormous embarrassment uh, to the military because they had everybody convinced, although most Pakistanis had no choice, um, it was dangerous to disagree, it still is, but not as much as before 2011, that the military was not only lying, but they were incompetent. Uh, they weren't able to, to prevent this raid. And uh, at the same time, the, the government was officially against the UAV uh, hits, as it were, in Pakistan, um, which were going on with the tacit uh, compliance of the uh, the Pakistani government because they were having problems with uh, <coughs> the, uh, the Islamic terrorism, uh, which we pointed out to them was your own fault because you still tolerate a, a sanctuary, a no-go zone in North Waziristan. Uh, in, in the northwest, up by the border of Afghanistan, uh, for any in Islamic terrorist group. So the army finally got taken the heat from their own population in, in 2014. They went in and they shut that down, pretty much. Of course, they pushed a lot of those, uh, you know, uh, Pakistani Taliban, as it were, uh, into uh, Afghanistan, and now they're blaming the Afghans for hosting, you know, Islamic terrorists uh, who are distant. Now, we are basically telling them, look, if you will cooperate with us, you know, we will we will send enough troops in, back into Afghanistan uh, to deal with this. Um, and the Pakistanis are playing games with that, and that's where it stands right now. Deny, 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 keep on doing what hasn't worked in the past, which I believe is the uh, is the uh, clinical definition of insanity. Um, you're expecting different results. Um, and the army basically feels cornered, because they have been ad ad you know, accurately described as one of those situations where you have an army with a, with a country attached. You know, it's basically like, you know, 19th century uh, Prussia. Uh, German government, which was dominated not as much as Pakistan by the military, um, and the uh, the elected you know government basically uh, had to fight you know for anything they wanted. And right now, the uh, the Pakistani uh, you know military has intimidated the the lawyers, the the, the courts, and they're selectively prosecuting corruption, uh, which is prevalent all through the uh, you know Pakistan within the military 
and the uh, the civilian government, and they have successfully removed one elected, you know, head of state um, by the, the Supreme Court, you know, basically ignoring military leaders' corruption, uh, which was, you know, the uh, the, the vast, uh, you know, uh, dump of uh, documents. Uh, you know, Panama Papers and, and subsequent, you know, uh, WikiLeaks-type, you know, dumps have shown that, you know, the corruption is, exists in the military, um, but the military has convinced, you know, the old offer you can't refuse, uh, obey or die, um, uh, to basically, well, go after the civilians first and exclusively. And so, you know, the, the judges, you know, what are they going to do? Who can protect them? Nobody. Um so officially, the uh, the the, uh, the the courts are um, uh, you know uh, against anyone who's corrupt, but they've they've acceded to the military demand that you concentrate on the civilians first, in in full knowledge that you know that could take years to clean, if ever, uh, to go after all of the. Um, uh, uh, civilian, corrupt civilian politicians, and in the meantime, the uh, the uh, Pakistani military takes over more of the economy. It's much like in Iran, that you know uh, the corruption tends to be uh, concentrated in the clergy. So you have a lot of the the GDP in both Iran and and, uh, and Pakistan, you know, controlled basically by generals or retired generals, and uh, that basically cobbles the economy uh, again the Chinese don't care so hey it's fine you know work you know it's uh, it doesn't really work in the long term but you know hey it's it's your country they're talking to the army not to the elected officials um, and uh, and of course as Austin will get into later they have nukes uh, so we have what they say is a fine mess and uh, everybody's basically fed up. Um, and uh, and there it stands. Now the the the, the current American government uh, is basically telling you know we're not going to you know uh, put up with this anymore, and we're ratcheting the screws. Now we we basically said we're not going into uh, uh, Pakistan anymore. Uh, we did basically kill one head of the uh, the uh, uh, the uh, Afghan Taliban. Uh, with a, a, a UAV missile strike uh, in southwest um, uh, Pakistan, Baluchistan, uh, when this guy was uh, heading back to his sanctuary in the capital of Baluchistan, Kedah, which is right across the border from Kandahar and uh, and Helmand, the two provinces in Afghanistan where uh, a the uh, Taliban was founded, originally came from. Uh, when they were in exile in Pakistan, and where most of the the her world's heroin comes from, what a coincidence! Um, and, uh, and for the moment, we and we just recently, you know, the, the senior military commander over there said it again. He says we are not going into Pakistan again. He never said we'd never again go into Pakistan, but the implication is there. If you continue to, you know, stonewall us, and you continue sponsoring the violence uh, in Afghanistan and terrorism, and, and providing all this sanctuary for the the uh, not only the uh, the Afghan Taliban, but also the drug gangs uh, that are basically becoming more dominant in Afghanistan. I mean, Afghanistan, you know, rolled back to the 1990s in Colombia, 
uh, you basically had what was uh, was slowly moving towards a narco state, where literally you had you know the the uh, the drug cartels uh, had the power and the money uh, to dominate the country and basically have, make the government do whatever it wanted. Now the Colombians. With, with uh, you know a certain amount of aid from us, uh, you know, turn that around after about a decade, and now they have uh, now they have basically defeated you know the leftist guerrillas, which were another problem, um, and pushed a lot of the, the the drug business into Peru. Uh, but you still got a lot of it in Colombia; it's still a problem, um, and that's cocaine. And for heroin, you go to uh, Afghanistan, where they have all you want. Uh, and the only thing the, the Taliban have to offer is that when they were running the place, most of Afghanistan, they never conquered all of it, uh, in the late 1990s and up to 2001, uh, they were under uh, threat of a uh, sanctions by the UN, and they basically shut down most exports of heroin, uh, which was highly taxed by the, the Taliban. That's how they managed to run, you know, operate the, the government in in. Uh, in Afghanistan, they shut it down for one year, which a lot of people cite as see they they will they 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 will shut it down. Well, no, that was only temporary because there was an oversupply, and they figured they might be able to um, you know uh, fool the UN into you know ignoring the sanctions uh, stuff, uh, and then they could slowly start it up again. In other words, do what you got to do, and then deny, deny, deny. Now, the only thing the Taliban in Afghanistan can promise now is. Remember back when we were running the country, we wouldn't. Uh, we basically were able to crack down pretty much uh, on the drug gangs uh, distributing any uh, opium or heroin inside Afghanistan, and that was true. But since then, that has not been true, and that over five to ten percent of the Afghan population is addicted, which is extremely unpopular. That's why the Taliban, at this point, you know, nobody trusts them, and and the and they are seen as basically hand in glove with the drug gangs, which they are. Um, and now the, the United States is going back in there. We're basically attacking the money, uh, which I think our latest you know reports on Afghanistan pointed that out. Um, because you know historically, uh, if you can basically make it too expensive or too difficult for the drug gangs to operate, they're going to make a lot less money. And and, and since the uh, uh, the majority of the income that the Taliban uses to pay, they have enormous expenses because they hire most of their people. Um, uh, they will have less power, and the uh, the Taliban is basically a, the Taliban depends upon a small segment of the population, maybe 10, 20 percent, mostly Pushtuns in the south. Uh, the majority of the uh, the Afghan population uh, is uh, is is basically very very you know anti-Taliban and anti-Pushtun, and that was demonstrated by the fact that we were able to uh, you know with a couple hundred CIA and and. Uh, and Army Special Forces personnel and a lot of smart bombs were able to basically destroy Taliban rule, you know, what was it, six weeks, less than two months. Um, but they are still there. And that whole tribal infrastructure, you know, it basically exists to a lesser extent uh, in Pakistan. And it's something that, you know, there's no quick solution for. And that's the problem with Pakistan. And India, really, you know, what can they do? They don't want, they know they can win a conventional war. They've won every one so far, but there are nukes involved, and the last thing they want is a nuke. Uh, and, you know, so Pakistan has become, at, at, you know, where we stand right now, as an unsolvable problem.
There we go. Another one. So, Austin, there's a nuclear component to all of this. Absolutely. Uh, I want to com- I want to comment on a couple of things. So, uh, first of all, Muhammad Ali Jenna, who was the one of the key Muslim Indian figures leading to the division into Pakistan and, and, and India, contended that Muslims would never prosper or do well in a predominantly Hindu state. And <laughs> Jim touched on, yeah, <laughs> the thing is, they've done quite well, and a, a number of the, the wealthiest people, uh, you Check this. Uh, check this out on the web. Go look at at, at their uh, individuals worth several hundred million uh, dollars to, to billionaire, uh, and there many. I shouldn't say many. Muslims are included in that, and uh, the by indication is that uh, many Muslims now. But in India, and I realize, of course, you've got people that disagree with this because India is a democracy, and they disagree with it. They feel they're better off. They know they're better off, and the comparative stability that exists in India. Now, just as another quick background on this, the listeners can go Google for it. I, I had an article published in the fall of uh, 2011 in in the Weekly Standard. Uh, I think they titled it Restitching India, or British India. And it was uh, a look at I think one of the greatest strategic errors of the 20th century, there were many, but was dividing uh, India, the old uh, quote-unquote British India. There are uh, educated younger Pakistanis that look back at it now and it's, and I, I, I know this is for a fact from expatriates as well as uh, uh, the discussion with uh, some Pakistanis about it saying yeah well it certainly does look like uh, a, a mistake. Now in the last edition of Quick and Dirty Guide to War which came out in 2008 there is a it's very short but Jim and I have a scenario in there of a <laughs> after Pakistan breaks down that we, you have a kind of a rump Pakistan that's left that's based on Sindh and Punjab which are the really the heart of, 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 uh, of Pakistan stable relatively modern economically productive when they're not being sat by uh, by corruption Jim said finally you got into the push tune and all the, the <clears throat> fragmentation tribal fragmentation in the Federal tribal areas of, of Pakistan, but also lapping over into uh, into Afghanistan. That's almost it, it is another country. And when you had this geographic and strategic depth of <clears throat> Greater India, you had Sindh and Punjab had backup from the rest of India if they were having to deal with 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 the tribes. Some of this is not quote unquote oh. They're radical Muslims. No, they're tribes that have different interests than they see as the flatlanders or the city dwellers. Uh, and that's that's even that's a, that's a that's a classic confrontation. I'm not trying to simplify it, Dan, but there's there's truth to this. The Baluchis will tell you this as well, because Baluchistan's quote unquote another country as well. 
remember part of Baluchistan goes into Iran so this is the fragmentation of uh, of Pakistan everybody looks at India as this big conglomerate but compare it to the the, the real tensions that exist inside Pakistan that's why Jim says you know well look looks like an unsolvable problem in some ways the problem was recognized but it was managed but then when you separated India and Pakistan you the, the bad joke is is that Pakistan made itself uh, exposed itself to this kind of vulnerability from the from the tribal the tribal regions and again if somebody has a the 2008 edition go in there and look at it and you'll you see the short the summary I just gave is is, is good enough it actually it supports the, the points that Jim was making now to the nuclear dimension yeah but okay we've gone through all the ethnography the demography a uh, little bit on the uh, economic side touching uh, touching on uh, the uh, economics but where India is given pause and even in Pakistan given pause too they both uh, have, have nuclear weapons and yeah as Jim said India it, it feels certain that it couldn't win a, a, a conventional a war that's, that's fought along the current India-Pakistan border would make uh, its armor forces would make uh, a significant penetration towards uh, the interior in Sindh and Punjab. Uh, in the end, but Pakistan would respond with nuclear weapons, and who knows what happens then? Is Delhi vulnerable? The Indians think so. The Indians see that, and in a certain sense, uh, Pakistan holds Delhi hostage in a similar way that it's analogous to. It's not the same situation geopolitically, but the way the North Koreans hold Seoul hostage with conventional weapons alone. But Delhi is Delhi is is nukable. Uh, this is. Uh, I, I know I, that there's some technicians out there that say, hey, Austin, you're making some assumptions. Yes, I am. But this is also uh, <laughs> mutual assured destruction. It's not assured destruction of, uh, of India, but severe damage to the uh, Indian capital. So that's what, when Jim says, as far India looks at it, well, gee, we could finally solve this and maybe, who, who knows, significant portions of the population of the two central provinces, Sindh and Punjab, may look back on it and say, hey, that's the best thing that ever happened to us. Uh, maybe, maybe not. A lot of animosity. At the same time, there are lots of Pakistanis, particularly in their business sector, private business sector, that sit over there and say, hey, wait a minute, India's our market, we're their market. Why did we do this? Remember, that same discussion goes on between Greek and Turk uh, uh, businessmen and women. Uh, they see the advantages of cooperating with one another. No matter what the government in Athens says or what Erdogan uh, says in, in Ankara, you, you've even got a, a closer knit uh, uh, there between uh, the uh, uh, Indians and Pakistanis. Benazir Buddha talked about this. And I, I recall a, 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 
a discussion of hers that where I think it I think it was a panel discussion that this was you know obviously several years ago where she said that that was her hope for change and mitigating the long-term confrontation with India is because there's she didn't put it this succinctly but that's what she says there's money to be made in cooperation and peace and she was she says they what she did say she says our business community knows of the Indians know it's not a it's not an outrageous idea at all they they still know that now as for the nuclear weapons I Jim and I have discussed this there are four or five theories out there about where they're held who knows I don't know someone in in Karachi Wallapeni whatever Islamabad knows knows where they are Indian intelligence may know where they are but the Pakistani army as Jim will tell you has some very very good units long enough to hold Indian conventional strike certainly given all the intelligence indicators that would precede an Indian buildup on a border and that's plenty of time to roll out armed and armed the nukes and the Indians know so I'm not gonna go into this but there's it it's that's all available on the web about the role that Pakistan I think it's it's definite but again it's you have to realize that the entire picture is not is not known but Pakistan playing a role in development of nuclear weapons in North Korea and to some degree within within Iran that's the con network Jim's written about that extensively so they've played a role in nuclear proliferation creating problems or exacerbating problems elsewhere in the world and that's that's another reason why when someone says you know Pakistan is a strange kind of rogue nation I've got case they've got a case that's a funny thing to say about a country that has so many able and intelligent people educated and sophisticated and a country just like Bangladesh and India that the UN goes to to recruit they're still the old British Indian Army and that's that's they still 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 have that legacy but they go to recruit reasonably high-quality troop contingents for peacekeeping operations now we've written about this on strategy page I'm not gonna take a tangent on it but just quickly look at it South Africa Pakistan Bangladesh India occasionally Jordan Canada what do we have there you've got a line of the of the British military training background British Army and they they still have the discipline and tradition of it and a couple of rather well one of them made a high rank but a couple of Pakistani officers I knew back in the 1970s would told me you know that it's it 
bothered them that so few people uh, in the West were aware of how good the uh, Indian Army, uh, officially it was the Indian Army, not British Indian Army, Indian Army had uh, its, its World War II record against the, uh, 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 against the Germans and well as, uh, as the Japanese. And uh, they said that, that we, we learned a lot from that and you still see it uh, in our army. And this is, this is in the mid 70s down 75 or 74, 75. Uh, you see it reflected in our army now and in the Indian army. Uh, anyway, I'll just leave it, uh, I'll leave it with that. Well, Jim, <clears throat> where are relationships between the United States and Pakistan headed? India is trying to strengthen their relationship, correct? Well, they, they're trying to normalize, as they say. They just want peace, but they're not getting very, they're not getting very far. Uh, and as Austin points out, the the the, uh, the nuclear weapons, uh, which which you know the the Indians had basically developed you know, years before the the Pakistanis, but they didn't declare it uh, because they were always the that they considered themselves the leader of the of the uh, you know the independent and non-aligned during the Cold War. Although they were very pro-Russian, uh, they basically tried to you know take this find that we won't do the nasty things that the superpowers have done. Um, and they tried. You know, one thing India has going for uh, years ago, I uh, but I think it might have been with, uh, with Austin, the first editions of, of uh, you know, uh, Quick and Dirty Guide to Wars, I did an analysis, uh, no, it's another book where I did How to Stop a War, where it was with another fellow who's now deceased. Um, uh, about the uh, wars over the previous uh, 200 years back to the 1780s and uh, I was crunching numbers and um, and I decided to do it by by current country and uh, it turns out that India uh, you know actually before you know in, in, in since they became you know a colony of, of Britain and, and, and since then they had been a much less violent country uh, than anyone else. Uh, now, blame that on Hinduism, whatever. Uh, Hinduism may have a lot to do with it. It's a it's a very tolerant religion. It's the only major, you know, uh, uh, you know, religion that, that allows the worship of many up to seven thousand, depending on how you count gods. Um, a big tent. It spawned many of the other major religions like Buddhism and you know Sikhism and and, and Jainism and what have you, uh, especially Buddhism. Uh, and uh, uh, to a certain extent, it, it, it basically influenced the, the formation of, uh, of Islam. Although the, the the Muslims, especially the Arabs, you know, violently deny that, but the the, the evidence is still there, no matter how much they try and hide it. Uh, but they, uh, they basically are at, they have to deal with their more violent neighbors. Now, for years, they didn't have to deal with the, the Chinese because you had the Himalayan Mountains. Uh, uh, the only people they had to fear were the people coming down uh, across the Ganges rivers, you know, basically through what is now Pakistan, the Khyber Pass. That was the highway from Central Asia. Uh, from uh, that's that's why the uh, the Indians, uh, the original Indians before the the uh, you know in the, uh, how should I put it before about three or four thousand years ago, they were all very dark skinned like the, like the on Southern and the Dravidians. They were basically people you know our ancestors who had come out of Africa, but when they went north they reached out for various you know uh, you know uh, uh, medical and survival of the fittest type reasons. Um, 
and uh, it was those Central Asian, uh, first wave of Central Asian barbarians who were basically the Sanskrit people, I call them. Um, but they were basically the ancestors of, of most Western Europeans and what have you. Um, and they they were not able to conquer all of India. In fact, the the uh, that the, the basically the, the Dravidian civilization, when they came charging in about three thousand years, four thousand years ago, they destroyed a civilization that the uh, you know, Dravidians had created on the Ganges River. That was the equal of what existed in Egypt uh, and China and in the Mesopotamia, in the Middle East. Uh, and uh, that gateway from hell, as the Indians call it, uh, the of course, the up there in Afghanistan, what is now Afghanistan, the tribes up there, you know, see, saw it as a periodic opportunity. Uh, in fact, the Hindu Kush Mountains, the uh, the, 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 the branch of the, the uh, Himalaya Mountains that extend into Afghanistan, Hindu Kush means death to Hindus. So it just shows to show you how far back you know, this sort of animosity goes. As Austin was talking about the the Pushtuns, the, the wily Pathans, what have you. Uh, nobody's conquered them because there's not much worth conquering. Uh, I mean, they were conquered when the uh, when the when the uh, when the Silk Road uh, was a big deal, uh, but that was destroyed by and large by the uh, by the uh, development of modern shipping. You know, uh, not steam, but sail. Uh, uh, you know, bigger ships, better navigation, etc., etc. Uh, the Chinese are trying to bring that back with their OVAR. We've mentioned this several times in, in strategy page. And there's two branches, <laughs> one going through Pakistan, uh, which which ends up at a, a new Chinese-controlled port uh, next to the uh, Iranian border. And another branch, because, you know, back in the day, the Chinese didn't control the, the Silk Road. Uh, it was simply called that because most of the valuable most valuable stuff came from uh, China, and that tended to be silk. Um, but it was a lot of it was controlled by India, and that's why India used to control much of what is now Western Afghanistan, uh, because it was it was worthwhile. I mean, it was, you made enough money to uh, to support an army up there to keep the tribes, you know, up in the hills, not down in the valleys. Uh, the Iranians. That's why uh, the second language in, in Afghanistan is Dari, which is a which is basically like Portuguese and Spanish. It's related to Farsi, which is the language of the Persians or modern Iran. Um, and you know the West sort of lost touch with that history, but they, it, locally everybody remembers it very well. And so now the Iranians, even though they're hobbled by a religious dictatorship, uh, they have built their own. Know, uh, basically uh, portion of the Silk Road uh, going from another port just not too far from across the border from the new uh, Gwadar port in Pakistan uh, Jalbar, which has been which has basically been uh, expanded with Indian money and that create and that just opened officially actually unofficially it opened you know earlier this year um, and basically it's a road and rail link uh, into Afghanistan but also into Central Asia and it basically provides an alternative the Chinese don't like this but they'll do business I mean they did business with the Iranians you know in the past uh, at the Persians what have you 
but uh, it basically com- further complicates the situation uh, because now Afghanistan has an alternative way of, of uh, exporting and importing, you know, uh, through the uh, through Iran, uh, rather than the monopoly that the uh, the Pakistanis uh, long had, uh, because there was no easy way to do it, you know, through Central Asia. Uh, you know, even when Soviet Union was there, again the the the, the roads, you know, through. Uh, the maps or what have you. There was no, there was no easy access. The easiest access is in southern Afghanistan, and that's where you had the uh, most of the roads, and you still do. Uh, and the Iranians have neatly solved this problem uh, with the help of India. So this puts the Pakistanis in a bind because they're losing that monopoly they long enjoyed. They can't come right out and say it, but that's what it comes down to. Uh, people are more inclined to buy into the Chinese One Belt, One Road, the new Chinese uh, you know, Silk Road, which goes through uh, Central Asia as well as through the South China Sea. We're seeing you know, the, the, uh, the, uh, how that impacts you know, uh, 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 the control of the sea by the Chinese. Uh, but it shows you how complicated the, uh, the, the politics and the relationships are in that part of the world. Uh, you know, that's always been a problem with Americans. We're, we're, we're basically, our ancestors came here to get away from various numerous, a long list of oppression and, and bad government back in the old countries, as it were. Uh, but we may have made a better life for ourselves in the United States, uh, but the, the problems that were left behind are still there. And that includes problems in Pakistan and uh, Iran, you know, Middle East. Uh, and of course, what's happening now, another epic change, uh, which is not really, which, which is really pertinent here, is the Arabs, at least the oil states, especially Saudi Arabia and the UAE, and to a lesser extent Kuwait, are aligning themselves openly with with Israel against Iran. Now that sounds like an unnatural alliance, which to a certain extent it is. But the Saudis and the UAE are very serious. I mean, for example, they have openly joined with the uh, with European countries uh, to to set up a, a counterterrorism force in the Sahel. Uh, they just uh, just this past week, they uh, the two countries, uh, two Arab states, uh, contributed 150 million dollars of the half billion dollars needed to get this this 5,000 uh, man, you know, uh, basically special operations troops from the countries involved: Mali, uh, Niger, you know, Chad, you know, what have you. Uh, uh, where you know I, I, Al Qaeda and uh, ISIL are trying to reestablish themselves uh, again through smuggling drugs and guns and people and what have you, um, and uh, the, the 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 Arabs are basically willing to change their political alignments they've used ever since World War II in order to accommodate the reality that they have more to, more to fear from Iran. Uh, than they do from Israel, which was never really much of a threat. It was just simply somebody to blame all their problems on. Uh, so you can see how <coughs> these 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 uh, these basically you know insane arrangements and attitudes from the United States, uh, you know, are insane. But eventually they they adjust to reality. Uh, either that, or you have you know total catastrophe, which is what happened as as Russia was uh, was transiting you know 100 years ago away from uh, you know away from uh, you know aristocracy, uh, uh, autocracy uh, to uh, to democracy. They got sidelined by you know 70 years of uh, of uh, uh, communist dictatorship, uh, and that basically you know you got an elected you know dictatorship now, uh, like in Pakistan. Uh, 
But things do eventually change. The problem is the nukes. As Dawson points out, you know, as long as, you know, a lot of these people uh, have their, their fingers on the trigger, the more fingers and not triggers like that, the more problems have. That's what's driving the North Korean situation, uh, which is a whole other story we've covered many times. But basically, India and Pakistan are basically the story of a, of a, of a never, uh, India that was never united, although it always was and the only time it was was basically under the uh, the the now as Austin points out the younger generation says you know the British uh, you know the British period wasn't all that bad um, it was in some respects but yes in hindsight in the long term uh, a united country gave a common language at least for government English um, and it basically you know put in the railroad uh, it started the industrial revolution which is still not complete in India uh, it showed that there are, was a better way to run government you could you could get by with less corruption which again uh, younger Indians you know been powered by the internet you know which governments have learned to their chagrin uh, all over the world they can't shut down they can't control they control it to a certain extent but they can't stop the information from getting through as was the case, you know, for over 100 years when you were basically depending on radio, TV, and, and newspapers. Um, and, and, of course, it's becoming, you know, it's becoming a uh, much more successful in India using the Internet to, to root out the corruption uh, than it is in Pakistan. But still, the corruption is a huge um, uh, a problem. That's why every year we basically, you know, put out, the, uh, you know, point out the Transparency International surveys of corruption, you know, showing how it correlates. You know, the most corrupt countries are the ones that have the most problems, and that's where that, if anything, if anything explains Pakistan, Afghanistan, you know, uh, Syria, etc., uh, it's that that corruption. Uh, and that is the real enemy, but, you know, it's not sexy, so it never gets many headlines. Right. Dan, I'm going to have to go, but I want to pick up on one on one thing. Jim was talking about the English as a common bond in India, to some degree, and I think including you know, Pakistan as well. You'll, you'll see English spelled I-N-G-L-I-S-H, uh, and it's because there's, uh, there, there's some dialectical uh, de- developments that have occurred over the years, but the Indians recognize that, uh, that and it, there's still animus towards uh, the, the British uh, 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 colonialism, but I slow recognition of 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 some of the uh, positive positive legacies and, and the, the the indian cooperation with the australians uh, and singapore are you know, in in line with that uh, it's um, I'm, I'm not pointing out something that uh, the Pakistani and uh, Pakistanis aren't aware of, or, or the Indians aren't aware of. It's just sometimes it doesn't show up in the press. I'm going to have to go, guys. Well, we'll wrap it up there, and uh, right. we'll talk to you, gentlemen, next time. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.